Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the study of your word, the uh, encouragement that we have to trust your word today. Thank you for the people who came and um, for the, uh, the encouragement that this series has been so far. We pray for your help that we would be um, strengthened in our faith today and equipped for ministry to others who do not know you. And uh, we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today we continue the series entitled Equipping the Saints to Know and Defend Their Faith. And we're looking at part two, a defense of why we trust the Bible. Why we trust the Bible. So we are going to see five reasons as to why we trust the Bible. First, the Bible is the Word of God. Secondly, we will take a look at the canon and God's providence. Thirdly, we will see the reliability, the reliability of biblical manuscripts. Then fourthly, the uniqueness of the Bible. And finally, the transforming power of the Bible. Come on in. Yep, it's the right place, yeah. Come on in. Yeah, we we chatted last week. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much, brother. We chatted last week and uh, and I can't remember your your name. Is it Kenny? Kenny? Kenny. Okay, Kenny. I thought so. So Kenny brought some coffee for us, tea and cookies. So if you can quietly go and take a take a snack, uh, feel free to do so. Thank you so much, Kenny. Almost on time. That's that is fine. You're gonna be here for the content. That's the most important. All right. So as I said, we are going to see today a defense of why we trust the Bible, and we're gonna be equipped to give a a reason for the hope that is within us to people who might ask and maybe you are not yet sure as to why you should trust the Bible and so you'll have five reasons and we'll start with the first one the Bible is the Word of God so here's the key message you can check the um, the handout part number one key message let's read it together I'll read it take a look before any and all external proofs of support for the reliability of the Bible, born-again Christians trust the scriptures because 1. It is the word of the faithful, true and benevolent God of the universe, their Savior. Number 2. The Bible is self-attesting. Self-attesting. I can't concentrate. Thank you. <coughs> so secondly, the Bible has a self-attestation power. Once you read it, you don't need anybody else outside of the scriptures to convince you that this is the word of God. In itself, it will demonstrate as divine to all people. And thirdly, apart from the foundational truths of the Bible, nothing in the world makes sense. So let's uh, comment uh, on, a, on the first uh, few. You, you know, when people tell you, when you evangelize or you meet people and they say, you know, you can't trust the Bible, or maybe they, they show a verse and you are caught off guard, your number one reaction should be, I know the Bible is true because it comes from God. And God is good, God is true, 
He is my savior, and therefore whatever he says, I will trust. That's the number one reason why we trust the Bible, because it is the word of God. Also, before we consider the external proofs about the manuscripts and the, the reliability of the manuscripts and the uniqueness of the Bible compared to other documents, we have to remember that within itself, the Bible has power to show to you and I that it is true. It has the self-attesting power internally. And thirdly, we have to look at the worldviews that people have. So as Christians, we have a worldview that's entirely guided by the Bible, or so it should be. But if you talk to people who will be uh, having some animosity towards your faith, towards you, they usually come from, or let's say if you are going to be arguing about the Holy Scripture, they, they might be coming from a point of view where they don't believe in God at all, they say. And so they would say, there is no God. But you see, if, if that's what is true, if there is no God, then nothing makes sense. Why do we have a world? Why do we have moral principles? If there is no God, then nothing has actually good and bad. Nothing is true or false. And nothing is actually worth discussing because they have no basis for anything. You see? So the Bible has foundational truths about the beginning of the universe, about the good and the evil, about God, about the purpose of life. And if you don't have the Bible, then nothing in this world makes sense. You can float around like just a, a speck of dust uh, in the universe and uh, your life has no meaning. And so if you don't have the Bible, nothing makes sense. And so therefore the Bible is trustworthy because it actually explains everything in the world. It actually is the foundation for the truths that we have in this world that guide our lives. So let's take a look at the key verses. Thanks for joining. So the key verses about the fact that the Bible is the Word of God. The first one is 1 Thessalonians 2.13. We've seen it before, we'll see it again today, and we'll see different aspects of it. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it is actually, or but as it actually is, the Word of God. So yes, the Bible was written by men, but the Bible is also inspired by God, and it really is the Word of God. And that's why we trust it. Because, as it says in the next two verses, Romans 3, 4, Let God be true, and every human being a liar, or Titus 1, 2, God does not lie. So we trust the Bible because it comes from God. And God does not lie. God is true. Every word of God is true. And if we have people interacting, that's going to be the question for you. We are going to talk about that uh, secondly in the second question. If you have people interacting with you about that particular aspect, then you should remember those verses. But first, let me ask you, why do you think trusting in the scripture's reliability, why do you think that's important? Yes. What else are you going to trust in? All right, good point. Back to the Bible has foundational truths that explain the world, and without it, you cannot make sense of the world. Jonah? Because, I mean, no, I mean, if, if, it's, if it's not reliable, then, I mean, I don't, really, I don't really know how to put it to words. I mean, like, if anything goes wrong, then how can you trust it? I mean, if anything, if anything bad happens, how can you trust it? I mean, what's the... 
when trusting in something that only, that, that's only reliable when it's good, when good things are happening. I right. Don't know how to put a quarter. Yeah. If you can't trust it, then what are you going to do? Uh, so in in Psalm eleven three, if I recall correctly, the verse states, "If the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do?" Right. The scripture is the foundation for Christian living. This is where we learn the revelation from God. So if you cannot trust the Bible, then you cannot have all this revelation. So obviously, it's key for the Christian life to trust uh, the reliability of scripture. So the second question, how would you respond if the reliability of a Bible truth or passage was called into question when you are discussing with someone? How would you respond if someone questions the reliability of a Bible verse or a Bible truth? I would say that the word of God is consistent, which is another word for reliable, and it can be trusted because throughout the throughout the years and the centuries, it shows like mankind has been changed, and mankind continues to go through the same things that we have come through. There is nothing new under the sun. And for now, you have to have faith. So if you don't have faith, I cannot understand why you don't trust in the word of God. Yeah, that's good. Also, we can ask them the reason. I think it's Here you go. to say, why don't you trust yes. That that's that's true. I was listening to an apologist this week, and um, um, he basically said, "What do you mean?" So first of all, they have to articulate why they think that this particular claim of theirs, uh, you know, what what do they mean? So do they mean, um, you know, it was corrupted? Do they mean I don't understand why God would say X Y Z thing because? So then you get some details, so you can actually discuss on the same plane where they are at. And then the second question you can ask is, why did you come to that conclusion? So okay, if the person says, well, I believe the Bible was corrupted, then you can say, so why did you come to that conclusion? And then if the person says, well, I don't know, well, they're obviously just saying something they haven't even studied themselves. So you can, that just will help them to see that they, before they make some claims like that, they need to do some study. And if they make some claims additionally, then you can um, make some comments just like, um, you you mentioned. I asked them if they ever read the Bible themselves, or are they talking to you about someone else called you who also read the Bible? Right. Have you read the Bible yourself? Very good. And by the way, since you mentioned that, uh, Kenny, I would like to encourage all of us to read the Bible completely, all of it. Read it completely. Um, especially if you're here and you have uh, uh, some relatives or Christian parents, you have to read the whole Bible. Uh, you have to see that for yourself. And um, back to point number two in the key message, the Bible will be revealed to you as the Word of God as you read it. If you're not reading it, you're not really seeking, are you? Right? So you, if you are really interested in the truth, well, find out for yourself. Read it and you will see how reliable the Scripture is. <coughs> Question number three. What does Psalm... 119.89 state about the Bible and what does that imply about its reliability? Psalm 119.89 basically says forever O Lord your word is settled in heaven forever O Lord your word is settled in heaven 
So what does that say about the, the, the truth of the Word of God? Yes? Reminds me of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. It says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. Right, so the Bible, the Word of God, it endures forever. It is fixed in heaven. This is a poetic language to say that it's never going to change. It's never going to disappear. It's a, it has always been with God and it will always remain. So this implies that the reliability of Scripture is, is bound in this promise of God that it will be firmly fixed for all times. All right, so let's move on. Um, you can take a look at the learning further section uh, afterwards. Let's move on to the canon and God's providence. That's the second reason why we trust the Bible. The canon and God's providence. Key message. The Bible content, also known as the canon, all inspired 66 books, was sovereignly decided by God. Man only recognized what God inspired. So I stop right there. Um, the Bible, I'm just going to move a little bit and uh, grab the one I brought. <coughs> So do you know why it's written so small inside your Bible? Well, that's because if it was written in normal font, it would be that thick. Because yeah. if you look at the table of contents at the beginning, you have the 66 books that are found inside. So it's actually a small library that is uh, contained in there. So you have 66 books. You have 39 in the old. 27 in the new. And the canon means the list. Okay? So you have an Old Testament canon with the 39 books that are mentioned in your table of content. And you have 27 in the new. So when we talk about the canon, we talk about the list. And when we talk about the canon of the Bible, we talk about those 66 books. So then people say, how did we get the Bible? Men just decided. And they said, we're going to pick this one, that one, this one. And then they... they some people think that, oh, how can you trust the canon? Look, just people picked books here and there, and they collected them. And so what I'm mentioning here is that nobody actually decided the canon. We recognized it. Why is that important? Well, you see, if I write five books, and then later on, when I'm no longer here, Somebody compiles those five volumes into one larger document. Are they actually deciding what I wrote in my five volume series? Or are they recognizing it? They recognize. They can't change the past. I wrote the five books. They can do nothing about that. The question is, are they going to recognize the five books I wrote correctly? right? And if they do a good uh, uh, work of uh, investigation, they will. So the canon, we recognize it. We don't decide that God inspired that one, he didn't this one. This is what God did. We just recognize what he did. So it's very important. We recognize the canon, we do not decide it. And then uh, this simple statement, in a more personal way, I know that Almighty God can write a perfect book. I know that God can write a perfect book. How easy is that for God? 
who made the whole universe. I mean, writing a book compared to making the stars and the sky and DNA and everything else we see all around nature, you know, in comparison, that doesn't look like a high feat. In other words, it's really not that hard to see that God can write a perfect book. And then, providentially transmit it in full to his people. See, if God is trying to speak to people, and then he gives the book to the first person, uh, so to speak, and then he doesn't oversee the transmission of the process uh, so that a couple centuries down the road, his word is lost, he's not very powerful, easy. He's trying to speak to people from all times, uh, um, from all uh, eras, but he can't because he cannot protect his word with the actions of men. They can thwart his, his purposes. See, that's, that's not reasonable. God is all-powerful. He can write a perfect book. He can guide people to recognize it with objective criteria. And then he can also protect his word over time so then people can have it and have no excuse. And we will see some verses about that. Yes? What's objective criteria? Well, good question. That's the next uh, section. We'll talk about the canon recognition process. But before talking about the criteria, let's look at the dates. So the dates. The Old Testament canon, that's the list of the 66 books of the Bible again, was recognized over time by the Jews. So the Jews, they didn't get the whole canon at once. They had Moses first, and he wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And then over time, there were other people because the history of redemption, it happened over millennia. So they recognized it over time. And by the time of Christ, there was a clear three-section content. It was called the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms. And we see that in Luke 24, 44. Jesus is going through the whole Bible of his time. This was only the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. And then he says to the disciples, um, I'm showing you in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, all the things that are pointing to me. So at the time of Christ, there was already the canon. The earliest known list of the New Testament's 27 books is from Athanasius. It's a, a well-known Christian ancient figure in 367 AD. The New Testament canon was formally recognized in the, during the councils of Hippo, three 93 AD and Carthage in 397 AD in North Africa. So that's for the general timeline. Now, the process. Um, by the way, for each of these sections, uh, the five sections of this study, just like for the last study, we could spend uh, easily two hours. So we're going succinct, but uh, I try to capture the key ideas I want you to remember. So the, the simple recognition process, if you were to summarize it, I have four uh, test um, uh, criteria here. The first one is the book was written by a recognized prophet or apostle. See, when they were looking at what was given, let's say at the time of Moses it was easy. Moses was with them. He wrote, he did miracles. Everybody knew Moses. This is Moses. Look at what he's done. He's obviously from God. People knew. And then they had kids and the kids, some of them, they saw Moses and on and on. And so people passed down and everybody knew it was memorized, it was recited, it was copied, and so people knew this is from Moses. And the same was true for the prophets, where you had Jeremiah coming and giving a prophecy or giving a message. People would know this is Jeremiah, this is the prophet of the Lord. Uh, he has told us several times, thus says the Lord, and things have happened. And so they knew this is from Jeremiah. And over time, this, this uh, content would be guarded, and people would know this is the book from Jeremiah. 
but if there were other people who claimed that uh, I have a message from the Lord, I'm a prophet too, and the community was like, we, we don't know this prophet, we don't know where he comes from, he's not someone who is authorized by God, then the content was not recognized. And there were some people like that who tried to write things and they were, they were not sent by God, people knew, and so they did not uh, receive their word. The same for the apostles. The apostles were commissioned by Christ to write the New Testament and uh, people knew them. And so again, the content was known. And there were letters sent and sometimes if someone was to be introduced, like Paul would say, this is a brother of mine who's been faithful in the work with me, listen to him. And uh, the content was passed like that. And so when people were looking back in the second and third century uh, and they were trying to figure out what are the books, then these testimonies and uh, the, um, the passed down information of the authorial um, aspects help them to decide, obviously, right? So how do they recognize them? The author. Secondly, the book has doc doctrinally harmonious aspects when you compare to previous revelation. So you cannot have a book who is coming from God and God is all of a sudden saying something that's contrary to what he has said in the past. God does not contradict himself. So this is how they were able to also um, discriminate the, um, the spurious documents from the, the true ones. Third, the book has accurate historical records. So there are some documents that are, um, that are actually in uh, the, um, the Catholic Bible. We'll talk more about that later that have erroneous historical aspects. For example, there's a king in one of these books and he dies in multiple different ways. You know, that, that doesn't work, right? You die once and then comes to judgment. Or there would be historical inaccuracies, or there would be someone praying to an angel or a person, you know, and we don't do that. So those are historical or theological uh, inaccuracies or falsehoods, and so therefore they could know these were uh, not from God. And not surprisingly, um, these were not written by known authors, known prophets or apostles. And finally, because the Bible is the Word of God, as we will see in the last section, the book had a, uh, a history, the book had a, an impact in the people. It was not just like any book. If it was really from God, it would change lives. And so people recognize now this book, when it was preached in the church, like so many people got saved and since then, you know, we have this as a treasure for our life. It comes from God, no doubt, you see. So those are some of the criteria that were used uh, uh, to recognize the canon. Any questions on that? No questions? All right, so the canon transmission process. So the, the Bible was inspired by God. You remember we saw last week the three, the three steps. Number one is, it starts with an R. Who can remember? Revelation. Revelation. This is when the truth in the mind of God goes to the mind of the prophet. From God's mind to the prophet's mind. What's the second one? Inspiration. Inspiration. That's when the prophet's, the truth in the prophet's mind goes to the paper. In Revelation, from God's mind to the prophet's mind inspiration from the prophet's mind to the to the paper and then what's the one that we have today illumination illumination all right i see people remembering that's good illumination is from the paper 
to my mind. So today, I do not have new revelations. We do not. What we have is the, inscru inscru uh, the uh, inspired word of God, where the scriptures contain the truth of God, and the Holy Spirit is going to transfer that truth from the paper to my mind. Okay, so this is how it happened. The Bible was communicated to the prophet's mind, the apostle's mind, they wrote it down. And then, over time, people had to copy the documents, right? So they copied the documents, and uh, in general, the, the canon transmission process consisted in the scribes hand-copying manuscripts and codex documents. So manuscripts would be, they would be basically uh, long pieces of uh, papyrus, and they would be rolled like that, right? So then the Jews would unroll, they would uh, um, read them this way, right? And then the codexes were basically books. They were more in the book, uh, in the book form. Christians were most uh, uh, commonly using the codex form, and the uh, Jews used the, the rolls. But at the same, uh, but at the end of the day, they were both hand copied over the centuries until the development of the printing press by Gutenberg in 1439 AD. It was actually created in China. So they hand copied. They were diligently hand copying the documents. So how were they trying to ensure that the copying process was accurate? Well, they used all kinds of things. They were. Um, some of them that if they found a single typo, a single mistake in the whole page, after the page was written, they would double check, right? And so if they found a single error, they would scrap the paper. So, you know, that takes time to go, you know, now we just type, right? Or we just uh, speak, there is voice, voice recognition. When you write, it's slow, especially if you are not gonna write like, a, in French we say like a cat, right? So you, you write very carefully with the old monastic style, you know, one mistake, gone you know half your day you put it to the trash so this was something that really helped them to be diligent as they didn't want to just do it over and over again and that was written in hebrew right okay so we'll talk about that there are three languages in the bible there's hebrew in the old testament some sections are in aramaic that's the second language and the new testament is written in greek originally so there are three languages uh, so we, my, my wife and i and my brother we went to scribes and scriptures conference and um, they also, there's many examples of since there, a lot of the parchments they were running on was super expensive, like like animal skins and such. There's a ton of where um, they didn't scrap it, they just like marked it off and put it, there was like a ton of like, um, there's a ton of corrections on the outlines. Like one of the scribes is the whole outline, so he had to go in between the lines and stuff. And, um, but you know, if they see one mistake, sometimes they didn't scrap and they, they yeah like that. So it depends on the different times. So sometimes they scrap the whole thing, and sometimes they made annotations. Of course, now you, you see something interesting. If you start to have annotations, you can see how when someone has to copy, now he has to figure out you know, which is actually the one where the correction, and this is where some variance can happen over time. So <clears throat> another thing they did is they developed what's called, um, um, I'm going to I think it's called a gametria. So basically, what it is is every letter has a number assigned, right? Just randomly, if we can invent it. You take the letters of the alphabet, A is one, B is two, C is three. So they would make a number associated with every letter, and then um, they would count the total for the whole page. You can see that every single word would have a different set of letters, so the number associated with the whole word, uh, the final uh, number is going to be unique. 
and uh, maybe some words will have the same counts. But uh, the whole page, the odds of having the exact same total for all the numbers associated with every letter uh, is low. So they would count what is the actual number of this whole page, um, right? So they will add all the A's and all the B's and everything, and eventually they have a number. And then they would have to match the, 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 the one they were copying to the one they copied. This is how they were able to catch some errors. Because um, I suppose they did this because when you're trying to proofread a document, it's very hard to catch every single error. Sometimes there are things that, that it just they are not going to get caught. Uh, maybe it's because it's a name, so the spelling doesn't make sense, so you won't trip if you read it. Maybe it's because you just inadvertently made a typo that actually is another word. And so when you go and you read it, you're like, you read a word that exists, so you don't blink that this is a mistake, but it's actually not the same word. You just made a new word by mistake, maybe by just changing a vowel or something. Anyway, so you can see they were trying their best to be very accurate. And as we will see, they were very accurate, but obviously, they made some typos sometimes. Or maybe, let's say, they didn't make any typo, and then the manuscript is passed down, and then maybe there was a little bit of a moisture there, or a rat ate a piece, or maybe the end of the scroll was damaged, what happened, then they would arrive and they would have some, some missing parts. And uh, as I explained last week, if you have a word, say, reading, if the D is missing, you can come up with a, the D by looking at the context and knowing that this word is a thing in your vocabulary, so you can fill in the gap. But if it was a first name, and this first name was rare, then you would not be able to guess what letter was missing because this is just not a common word. And of course, in some uh, languages, the names are spelled in different ways. So you end up having variants about those kinds of things. And as we said, those things, they don't actually change my faith, do they? If someone is called uh, Jonas or Judas, uh, in, an, in an Old Testament passage, let's just uh, extrapolate. You know, that's not going to change whether or not I'm saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Will it? You see. So, so but typo's not going to change your faith. That's right. Yeah. Those are not basically changing the meaning of the doctrine. And if it did, you really didn't have faith to begin with. What's that? If that did change your faith, you really didn't have faith to begin yeah. with. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. If someone is tripped by that, then, uh, you know, it's basically an excuse. So um, we keep going. We just talked about the recognition and the transmission processes. <coughs> recognition, they had different ways of recognizing which books was uh, inspired and transmission they hand copied. And as we will see, the studies uh, on the reliability of the different manuscripts which can be compared shows an exceptional transmission quality. Let's look at a couple verses. Ecclesiastes 12:11. The words of the wise are like goads. And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. So it's a somewhat obscure verse that talks about the collection of, uh, of, of white sayings in a, in a book form, in a document that's uh, uh, attached together. And it says that they are from one shepherd. So this is an implication on the fact that all those sayings, all those books in the Bible that were given by different prophets and, and apostles and so on, they are actually uh, wisdom, true sayings from God, the one shepherd. So that's an interesting passage here. And then in Psalm 12, 6 and 7, we read, The words of Yahweh are pure words. 7. You, O Yahweh, will keep them. You will guard him, that is the righteous in the context, from this generation forever. So the Psalm 12 is basically talking about all the lies that people have in this world and how it makes the world a dangerous place. 
And so it talks about the wicked and all the lies. And then in contrast, it brings the word of the law, which is pure and purified seven times, verses 6. And then 7, God says, I will guard my word. So God is going to keep his word, and this is how he protects the righteous. So that's a general promise of the divine preservation of the Bible for the saints of all generations. Just like we, uh, we heard from um, um, Isaiah 40 in 1 Peter 1, which quotes the same passage, uh, the grass withers. The flower fades. <laughs> the word of the Lord endures forever. Exactly. So things in this world, they perish, but not the word of the Lord. It endures forever. It is kept by God for the saints of all generations. So questions. Can someone please read for us Romans 9.4? Romans 9.4. And then someone else? Romans 3.2. We will start with 9.4. All right. Romans 9, 4. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. Thank you. So what do we learn about the nation of Israel and the word of God in this passage? The word of God, those all first given to them. That's right. See, it says, to Israel, to them, to the Israelites, was given the words of God, the law. So, could you please read that section again when it talks about the word of law, the law specifically? The giving of the law part? Yeah. The, uh, the covenant, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. Thank you. So, we have the giving here. Then someone read for us, please, Romans 3.2. much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. Thank you. So, in both of these sections, someone is asking rhetorically, that's Paul, what's the point of being a Jew? What advantage do you have? And then he says, much in every way. And he says, look, they got the covenants. They were adopted by God. They received the law. And over here, the very words of God we heard. You see that? So, God says in his word that when the Jews received the manuscripts, they received what? The, the very words of God. And so we see here, and, and of course you have to think about that. When he says that, that is Paul, he said that way after the Jews received it. And he, and he doesn't say that as if it was like a thing that was in the past that doesn't continue anymore. He says, no, they have the covenants. They have all the, the promises. They have those things and they remain. And so he's saying, the Jews have the word of the law. Even though it's been copied for thousands of years at that point. See, that, that's actually implying that God is saying they have the words of God. Just like Jesus would say, the word of God. Or God said, God said. And he's, what is he doing? It's a very important point. Catch this one. Jesus is quoting copies of the Old Testament originals. He's even quoting the, the Septuagint, which is a Greek copy that's a translation of the original. And then when he quotes it, he doesn't say, this is an, an unreliable copy of what God said, but let me just tell you what it says. It says, God said. 
So when Jesus took it in the Bible of his day, I was translated in, in a different language, and I was copied over centuries, he says, this is what God says. So that really gives you uh, assurance, because if that's what Jesus believed, well, that's what you can believe too. That's what you should believe too, that when you have this copy of the Bible in your hand, that was translated in a different language from the original, in your case, it's going to be English, I was copied and copied and copied, it's actually the Word of God that was given to the Jews and it was preserved by God so that even later it will still be called the very words of God. And they received it and God preserved it. Does that make sense? All right. So next. I, I never realized that actually those three and four are that powerful because that it's really good to defend the reliability of, of the Word. It says here, verse, um, Romans 3, verse 3 and 4, what if some were unfaithful? That their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. And Here we go. I'm like, I've never, I didn't know this verse, you know, this is a, um, one of the arguments of the unbelievers, like, where the monks were not fully Christian, or they were not faithful, or, you know, there were a bunch of drunk people, and they wrote that maybe they. They, they didn't want to write the, the truth and maybe the Bible is totally corrupted and, and so on and so forth, you know. But here it's like, well, let God be true, though everyone were alive. Well, they could, everyone could be alive, but God will preserve his word anyway, so we can trust it. Because we trust in God. Very good. That's very good. I have a question, and maybe the, yes? right now it's not the time, but, um, you know, I would imagine, like, before that, for example, go to other religions, mm -hmm. like um, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, yeah. Muslims, they also have a book, mm -hmm. and they will say that they have faith in that book. Yeah. So what what would be the difference between that Bible and the other books? Yeah, good question. So I'll give a very short answer on this, and then we'll talk more about that in the fourth part of the series which is called why christianity is the only true religion um, i would just uh, give a few uh, highlights so their so-called holy books they came after the bible and then uh, they borrowed heavily from the bible and then they contradicted clear testimonies of the bible for example the muslims say that jesus was actually not crucified see the problem is that it's attested in the bible in the roman history greek history it's been the basis of uh, the faith of uh, the people of god from their earliest times and they, there is no way you can prove any corruption in that content from the time period and so when they come up and say oh by the way this whole thing you know it was not correct well this is uh, this is uh, not something that's credible because you can't just come and rewrite history that doesn't work and so that's the same for uh, most of the the cults, by the way, they, they say, oh, now we have recovered the truth. But as we are seeing here, God preserves his word. Mm -hmm. And so it's impossible that the truth of God would be lost for, uh, you know, centuries or thousands of years. And all of a sudden, then God just pulls it off to just come back and restore the church. You know, Jesus said, my church, uh, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the, all the premises of the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the uh, Adventists, that the, the, ch the church was lost, the truth was lost, and now it's recovered. They are called least restorationist movement. Mm -hmm. They try to restore what was lost. The premise is that it was lost, but Jesus said, my church is not going to be lost. 
He said the word is going to be preserved. God is not going to be defeated. And so they cannot possibly be right. And of course, when you compare what they said with previous revelation, we find inconsistencies, inaccuracies, falsehood. So we know that this cannot be right. And uh, by the way, one of the reasons why the prophets were recognized as true prophets was what they said came to pass. And all those groups, they made prophecies. Uh, oh, Jesus is coming back in 19 and blah, 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 and then it doesn't happen. And oh, no, actually, it's a mistake. It was like 20 years later. No, it still doesn't happen. It's like, uh, no, you know, that doesn't work. God doesn't make any mistakes. So your so-called prophets, they are false prophets. And so this is some of the easy ways to compare. And it should be enough to com convince everyone, really. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, people are, as we will see, they need regeneration. It's not just by reason. People need to be transformed by the Spirit. Uh, I will answer the next two questions for the sake of time. Uh, the next one was, why do Protestants have a different Bible from the Catholics? And the answer is because the Catholics had the so-called Apocrypha. Apocrypha means um, what was hidden. So there were books that were written in the intertestamental period between the Old and New Testament. And those books were never accepted by the Jews. See, the Jews received the words of God. The Jews, they didn't just receive the Bible from God, and then they were like, well, we're not sure. They knew very well, this is the word of God, there's no doubt. And when the spurious books came, they said, nope, that's, that's not true. We've never had that. We don't know those people from Adam. We, we don't know them. That's not true. And so they never recognized those so-called apocryphal books. And, but the Catholics, later on, they added those books to the canon because they wanted to fight against the Protestants and justify their false teachings, such as praying to the saints and other things. So they added some documents that were never recognized in the canons by the Jews. And uh, so this is why they have a slightly uh, bigger Bible that has 12 books uh, additional in the Old Testament. Again, books that were historically never there, that were never recognized. And when you read them, you know why they are not supposed to be there. Uh, so that's the answer for question two. Question three, according to Revelation 22, 19 and 18 is the canon closed. So that's the passage that's at the end of the Bible and that says do not add to the words of God and do not subtract to the words of God. And so this is not uh, without reason that this is the last book of the Bible and that this clause is, is mentioned. God does not want you to take anything out of the Bible. You can't take your scissors and say I don't like this section I'm going to remove it. You can't say well you know now we know we have a new prophet so I'm just going to slide in a few things I like. You can't do that, there's nothing to be added, nothing to be removed. And so the reason why it actually applies to the canon is because this is the end of history. God created everything in Genesis, there's creation and the fall, where sin and death entered the world. And then what do we find in Revelation 22? We find the new creation with the end of sin and the end of death. So this is the end, there's nothing you need to add. God has resolved everything. This is the prophecy about the future. We do not need anything else. And that's why uh, in closing, God says, we do not add, we do not subtract to my word. So the canon is closed. We have a complete um, prophetic future with the resolution of uh, the problem in the world, which is sin and death. I encourage you to read this article from Nathan Buthenitz from the Master's Seminary. It's a blog article that's fairly short called Why These 66 Books? And I like the quote that he has that summarizes his article, so I'll read it for you. 
So you can know why we have those 66 books. <coughs> we believe in the 39 books of the Old Testament because the Lord Jesus Christ affirmed the Old Testament. And we believe in the 27 books of the New Testament because the Lord Jesus Christ authorized his apostles to write the New Testament. That's why we have this Bible. Because when Jesus was on earth, he said, this is the word of God. And he said, I'm going to commission my apostles to write to you the truth. And they did. And so that's why we have the Bible that we have. We move on to the third part, the reliability of biblical manuscripts. Definition. The Bible transmission is reliable because we have a reliable God in control of history and able to speak. See, at the end of the day, I believe in the reliability of Scripture because my God is reliable and He is omnipotent and He is in charge of history. Now, watch this syllogism. A. Since unbelievers admit that we can know recent and ancient history, this is why we have history departments in universities and uh, countless history books on various eras. And given that B, the Bible is the most reliable ancient document collection in existence, as assessed objectively by dates and numbers of manuscripts. Therefore, it follows that C, the Bible's reliability is factual and more certain than anything else we know from ancient history. We can know history, unbelievers admit it themselves, Secondly, the Bible has the most uh, uh, reliable collection of ancient documents. Therefore, the Bible is the most reliable source of knowledge from the ancient past. And actually, unbelievers would agree with that. They, they will. And the reason why they agree is this. You know, when they do history, historical science, they have rules. They don't just write papers the way they like. You have rules. So when people submit, there is a review process. If it's not actually thorough and precise, it will be tossed. They won't be able to publish they won't be able to make a career in history. So those rules, they are some, some of them are very objective rules that are very strong. And so then they are used for other things. It's like math, right? You just don't use math for uh, things that are for unbelievers. Math is math. It's just applied for everyone. The same is true for, for rules of logic and historical analysis. And so they are used for the biblical manuscripts. And the very same people who reject God and publish papers, they cannot change their mind about the rules they use for their own career when it comes to the Bible, so they have to conclude the Bible is extremely reliable. And there's nothing they can do about it because the facts are the facts. So let's look at some facts. You have them on your paper. It's uh, displayed like this. Okay. All right, so we look at the first one. The first one is that we trust the Bible because it has eyewitness accounts corroborated outside the Bible. So the first uh, section concerns uh, Luke's eyewitnesses. In Luke 1 and Acts 1, Luke is writing to a, a person by the name of Theophilus, and he says, Dear Theophilus, which was most likely a, a Roman officer or dignitary of some kind, and it says, I have endeavored to write to you to explain to you all that happened from the time of Jesus. And he says, I have done investigations, detailed investigations, and I have interviewed eyewitnesses, and I'm writing to you what they saw. So this is containing eyewitness accounts in the Bible, and you do not discount eyewitness accounts. John also says, what we have seen, what we have heard. And Peter said, what we have heard and seen on the mountain. So we have multiple eyewitness accounts in the scriptures. And not only that, but what they said is corroborated, you could say um, confirmed, 
so to speak, by external sources. So the, the Greeks and the Romans, they had some well-known ancient historians like Josephus, a, his, a Jewish historian, uh, Thales as well, Lucian and Tacitus, who, who were Roman historians in the first and second centuries. They actually confirm what the Bible claims about the fact that Jesus died and that he rose again and that there were different things that, that happened and the Christians who came and proclaimed everywhere that Christ rose. And, and so if the enemies of the faith or people who are neutral about the faith, you know, uh, say that what the Bible says is exactly what happened, then there's nobody who can say, well, those documents are unreliable because, see, everybody agreed at the time. Why would they be wrong? Secondly, unmatched manuscript quantity and closeness to writing. So, I'm going to pull up some tables. Um, there are two ways you can assess ancient documents. One, you because remember they are copied. So how can we know that this is, this is accurate to the original? Well, if you have one original and you have eventually over the years a thousand copies, you can compare all the copies and you can compare them by knowing how old they are, each of them. So the ones that are the oldest and therefore the closest to the original are gonna be more likely to be accurate to the original. And by comparing all those manuscripts, you can have a high degree of confidence that you have the original. So that's what everybody does for all ancient history. And it turns out the Bible is the uh, document of uh, ancient history that has the most amount of manuscripts in the New Testament, you have the numbers on the slide uh, on your page. It's 24,000. The numbers are uh, 5,000 in the Greek, and then non-Greeks and Latin and, um, and uh, uh, various compilations, that would be 18,000 more. So in total, we have 24,000 documents. That's a huge amount. And the youngest or the earliest compared to the original is some sections from John that are dated just 50 years after the writing. So how does that compare with the other writings? So here I have a table. Uh, have you heard of uh, Plato? Raise your hand if you've heard of Plato. Uh, is anybody in the world doubting that Plato existed? No. Uh, probably just some lunatic people, but usually people know, yeah, this is a very well-known ancient uh, philosopher. Well, the number of manuscripts, it's about 240 top. Compare that with 24,000 in the Bible. Nobody says, oh, Plato doesn't exist. Like, we only have 240 manuscripts. Like, what is that? And so if you can trust that Plato existed, and not just him, but also uh, Caesar. Caesar, we have 10 copies of what he wrote. Everybody doubts that Caesar existed? Aristotle, 40 documents. And then you have uh, just so many other people that are well known. And the, the numbers are like anywhere from five to 600. 600, that's the, the Iliad from Homer. That's kind of the higher number in the list. And so these are not very high numbers of copies. And yet we know they are factual because we have many copies. This is, this is known history at this point. And then how far are those copies dating compared to the original? They date, um, Plato would be 150 years, so it's fairly close. And then you would have um, for other uh, other people like Julius Caesar, it's 900 years, the earliest copy we have, detached from Caesar himself. So for the most part, you have uh, you have very large gaps that would be from uh, typically around 500 years to 15, 1600 years. So you see how far they are detached from the original and have few copies, 
they have compared to the Bible, it's like, if you were to put it on a chart, it would look like this. Just picture a chart, all right? It's not going to be to scale because you would not be able to see anything. If you put it to scale, right, let's just put it to scale. Just you come up with a scale, so that's going to be 5,000 manuscripts, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, 25,000. The Bible is over here. And then that's like Caesar. It's like this, you can't even see it, it's just five. 600, that would be what? There's something like that? And then if you trace back in time, uh, that would be the original. This would be some of the manuscripts of uh, secular sources. And then that would be like the Bible, like this. You know, it would be like long, but it would start as low as here. So this is just a fact of history that the manuscripts of the Bible, they are more reliable than anything else we know. So if you know anything about history, you can know that we know the Bible even more with accuracy and, and confidence than anything else that uh, people know. So people who say, oh, we can't know what the Bible claims. If that's the criteria they're going to use, they basically disagree with all the historians of all times. And they basically say, we cannot know anything. Because the Bible is more, has more knowledge than any and all the other things that we know from the ancient past. You see that? It's very encouraging. And of course, you know, why is it that we have just such an overwhelming content of scripture? That's because God providentially kept that. Did you know that in the, in the first few centuries of church history, Christians were persecuted heavily? And in the third century, the fourth century, there was actually a, an emperor who said, you're going to kill all the Christians and you're going to burn all the New Testaments. And people were actually paid to bring, to, 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 you know, to betray. And so there were just so many thousands of manuscripts that were burned. He was trying to uh, basically uh, make the Bible no longer present on the earth. The communists did that too. Just uh, forbid the Bible. The Protestants, the, the, the Catholics did that with the Protestants in France. So they were hiding Bibles uh, behind the walls of the, the, wall, the stones. If they were caught, they were killed. So you know that has happened all the time. Why? Because the devil wants to destroy the word of God. He's always done that. Do you think the devil is going to win? No. No chance. So then when the, the emperor from the Romans passed, and then eventually there was Constantine with the Christianity becoming the state or the empire's official religion, he said, I will pay everybody who brings me a document from the New Testament. Guess what happened? Stay right here. We have a few here behind. And then everybody brought documents. And there were so many documents, and they were copied again and again and again. And today we have this amazing content of Bible manuscripts that's all because God can keep his word. And God has done that. So that's very encouraging. The third line of evidence after the eyewitnesses and the unmatched quality, uh, quantity of manuscripts and closeness to writing is the archaeological evidence. And so for this, um, I'm going to encourage you to, uh, and don't do it right now, but uh, to uh, Google, to go on YouTube and check out the channel called Expedition Bible. Now this channel is amazing. It's an actual uh, archaeologist, and uh, he, um, he just makes a lot of videos about, um, about discoveries, uh, about sites where he goes. It is, it is just astonishing. Every time I watch a video, I'm uh, moved. Um, so I guess I won't have internet. But uh, there is one video that's on Sodom and Gomorrah. Just check it out, go to Expedition Bible on YouTube, and then one of the popular videos would be Sodom and Gomorrah. So what you see is the video starts, it's really well done, and he goes to the site, he shows the site, and then um, 
there are many different types of remains that prove the accuracy of the Bible. And then he explains by going and quoting the Bible every time that there were sulfur balls coming from the sky. It's well known, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. Fire came down from heaven with sulfur and burned the people in judgment. You know what he found? Many different balls of sulfur all around the ground in some areas that were just uh, moved by the flood uh, for some, uh, uh, after some time. And he picked a few of them and he lighted them and they start burning like this. This is just amazing. And it's just one thing. It's just, you study the archaeology of the Bible, you will be blown away. Every single detail, you will find, oftentimes, uh, corroboration. You'll find things that are just dead accurate. And people have been denying the Bible. Oh, this never existed. This was never the case. And then one day, you know, somebody finds everything. And it's like, there's nothing you can say. It's just unbelievable. So if you want to know that the Bible is true, archaeology is going to blow your mind. Everything that God says is true. So eyewitness accounts, unmatched quality and closeness and quantity of manuscripts, detail confirming archaeological Bible evidence, and thirdly, exceptional transmission accuracy. So in the New Testament, in the New Testament, there are an approximate 1.3 million pages of manuscripts that people have. So that's a lot of pages. And people have been comparing them. And sometimes people say, oh, there are like several hundred thousand variations in the manuscripts. And that's technically true, except uh, they don't matter at all. Because there are things that are in the grammar, for example, a word that's in English you write A or you write A-N, right? So A Bible and, uh, and an N envelope or something like that. So there are variations about things like that, the way the, the, the words are written, that have no impact on the meaning, but they are so standard that they just proliferate everywhere and they just inflate the numbers. So, and then they are like the names, which again, you know, that doesn't change your faith at all. It's just spelling based on the, the, the language and the culture. Um, and then there are some meaningful variants. So there are some of these. And how many? 1,500. 1,500 meaningful variants, okay? And what is the percentage? So these are the variants that if you have this the translation or that translation or that addition of the word, that would change some meaning. It doesn't change any doctrine, but it would change the meaning of the sentence. So how often is that present in the Bible? Well, 1,500 meaningful variants out of 1.3 million New Testament pages, that's 99.9 uh, transmission accuracy of the meaning. So people have made all kinds of calculations. You are well over 99%. Uh, for the New Testament translation of meaning. In other words, when you read the New Testament, after 2,000 years, the meaning is virtually unchanged. It's not perfect. It's not 100%. It's not how God did it. He didn't just copy and have people burn all the other copies and make a miracle every time. He didn't do that. He made an overwhelming quantity of manuscripts that people, even if they tried, they could never destroy. And he made it providentially guarded so that today, with the math we have, we can know that Look, this is exactly what Jesus wanted you to know. And uh, so people have always denied that. They said, no, we don't know, we don't know. And so some manuscripts like Isaiah, they were detached from the, from the original by a long shot. And one day in 1948, there was a, a shepherd and he was uh, just uh, in, the, in the Israel region and he had one of his goats just escaped. So he was chasing the goat and the goat eventually was found in a cave and that cave became known as the, the cave of the Dead Sea Scrolls. So this animal led him to find uh, jars that had like so many manuscripts that had never been seen for uh, hundreds of years. 
and they discovered manuscripts and inside these manuscripts they were manuscripts of Isaiah and they compared the content of Isaiah to our modern Bible and it's 98% exact to our modern day Bible even though the the latest manuscripts that they had at the time was a thousand years older than the ones they found what does that mean that means that after a thousand years those manuscripts were 98% identical in Isaiah so yeah you have some variations but look this is amazing absolutely amazing that you would have such a remarkable transmission process so it's exceptional and it confirms it confirms that the Bible was guarded by God thirdly the uniqueness of the Bible and by the way the verse is here remember this keep it in mind take it to heart you rebels remember the former things those of long ago I am God and there is no other I am God and there is none like me I make known the end from the beginning from ancient times what is to come I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please see that's that's all God God has said this is my word it will accomplish all that I want and it's exactly what's gonna happen the uniqueness of the Bible the Bible is unique it was written by 40 different authors in three different continents in three different languages these authors didn't know each other they didn't live at the same time they had occupations that varied uh, widely fishermen shepherd servant prime minister king they were just very different and um, they yet spoke about God in a very same way so if you go into the street you poll 10 people and you ask them tell me what you believe about God about men and the purpose of life you think they're gonna tell you the same thing how much more is it implausible that 40 different people living on three different continents or so many different uh, backgrounds they are so diverse how is it possible that they will all say the same things about God about time about history it's impossible the Bible is whole harmonious to your point uh, that um, it shows it's divine it shows it is orchestrated by God so that these people would speak with the same voice you understand they didn't have the manuscripts of each other completely some of them existed actually later when they were dead gone you see and with the law so it's impossible that they would have the same harmony of content with the writing span being of 1500 years it, again it shows that the Bible is unique and, and is the Word of God it's also the best-selling book of all time and by a very long shot it has been distributed amazingly and it shaped civilizations up to this very day and it says things that are not popular like man is interestingly evil people say no it's not true but just look at the news you'll figure it out and they say things like uh, you know uh, David uh, killed the, the husband of uh, a woman he wanted to take you know people would want to hide that not the Bible it just shows the flaws and the sins of its heroes it shows you that it's from God he doesn't hide anything you ask you tell a Muslim that uh, uh, Muhammad was a sinner he will get very mad at you possibly to death the Bible actually puts it plain and simple everywhere to see and then finally I know the Bible look 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 I know the Bible is true because it changed my life you see that you can say whatever you want about the Bible. I know it's true because it changed my life so living for the glory of God this week could you share with your family with your kids with your friends could you share how the Bible changed your life can you share that with them and if that's true will you commit to actually daily meditate on the Bible with your family with your kids because it changes lives 
And will you commit to use the Bible with others when you evangelize? Will you? Amen. The Bible is at work indeed in us who believe. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Let's pray. Dear God, we give you praise and thanks because we can trust your word. Lord, we need nothing else but to know you and that you are reliable and trustworthy to trust your word. But thank you for all the other encouragements and reasons you have given us. And we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.